Amazing. Good evening. Let me extend my welcome um, onto all those that have already been given. Uh, my name is Rory. Um, for those of you who don't know me, uh, I'm on the staff team here at HTC. Um, and tonight, I'm going to be continuing our sermon series in the book of Titus. Um, and we're going to be looking at what it means for us to live a life that is transformed by the gospel. Um, last week, Jago started uh, the series. He took us through chapter one, and he looked at what it means for us as Christians to be agents of transformation uh, in the context of church. And this week, we're going to be looking at chapter two, um, and we're going to see how that internal transformation that happens, um, how uh, that can transform us externally as well in the way that we live our lives. So uh, we're going to start by reading the passage, and then I'm going to pray, um, and then we'll get going. So if you haven't already, please do grab uh, the passage that's at the end of your rows, um, and I will read. Titus 2. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. Teach the older men to be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, and sound in faith, in love, and in endurance. Likewise, teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanderers or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God. Similarly, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. Set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted, so that in every way they will make the teaching about God our Savior attractive. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own eager to do what is good. These, then, are the things that you should teach. Encourage and rebuke with all authority. Do not let anyone despise you. Shall we pray as I begin? Lord Jesus, would you come now, and by your Spirit, please speak to us tonight through your word, so that we may all be challenged and encouraged by your grace this evening. Would you convict our hearts, comfort us with your love, and stir us into godly living this evening? And we pray this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. So why are we talking about transformation? Um, it's a kind of buzzword in today's culture uh, for something good. Um, we constantly see and hear it on the news um, in everything that's going on. Um, just this week, you have noticed the transformation between the leaders of America and North Korea as they stopped trading insults and they met for the first time. We've seen a transformation in Spain's chances at the World Cup with their last-minute sacking of their manager. 
And even personally, um, in the last six weeks since I've got married, um, I've been transformed from someone who did start their day with a cup of coffee to someone who now starts their day with a cup of tea. Not sure if that's good or not, but anyway. Um, but what does it mean for us, for each of us, in our everyday lives to be transformed by the gospel? The word transformation is a bit of jargon that often gets thrown around church um, because it can sound positive and it can sound maybe super spiritual. It's often used to describe a dramatic change in who we are, sometimes even in a visible change in our appearance. But for most of us, that's not the transformation we need or the transformation that this passage is actually talking about. So if we don't need that big, dramatic, visible transformation, do we need transforming at all? Well, Paul says yes. Yes, we do. In fact, that's the whole point of this book of Titus. If we go back to the first verse of the whole letter, Paul writes this. He writes, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Jago said last week that the source of our transformation is our knowledge of the truth. The truth that Jesus has come to save everyone who believes in him. When we believe in Jesus, that faith in him, that is our internal transformation. So what is the response to our transformation? Well, Paul says in that first verse that the knowledge of the truth should lead to godliness. Now, um, last weekend, Hannah and I uh, were at a wedding in Lincoln, and uh, between the different parts of the wedding day, we uh, went for a wander around the town. And in the center of Lincoln, there's this huge hill called Steep Hill. We wandered up to the top, and at the top there is Lincoln Cathedral. And we we wandered in, um, and just as we wandered in, Evensong had just started. Um, It's a kind of choral Evensong service. And we thought, we may as well be a bit cultured, and we stayed for the service. Um, It was beautiful, it was really lovely. But at the start of the service, there was this slightly odd thing that happened, which isn't normal uh, to the Evensong service, where there was this little ceremony of admission for three little girls into the cathedral choir. It was a bit bizarre. Um, But some of the words that the girls had to say and some of the prayers that were prayed over those girls um, were amazing, actually. And some of them really struck uh, Hannah and I as being things that Paul is talking about here in this bit of Titus. Um, And there was one prayer that really stood out. And it went like this. It said, Take care that what you sing with your lips, you may believe in your heart. And what you believe in your heart, you may show forth in your life. Take care that the things you sing about, the truth of Jesus Christ, you may believe them in your heart. That's the internal transformation, the knowledge of the truth. And what you believe in your heart, you may show forth in your life. That's the external response to that transformation a life of godliness. But what does that look like? What does godliness look like? Um, Throughout this letter to Titus, Paul suggests that it is doing what is good. Um, We see it throughout Titus 2. If you look with me to verse 3, at the end of verse 3, teach what is good. The end of verse 7, or in the middle of verse 7, do what is good. And the end of verse 14, eager to do what is good. Now, that is all well and good, um, but it's quite a jump from believing in Jesus to doing good. That's not necessarily the immediate response, the first thing that we do. Just because we believe in Jesus doesn't mean that we are immediately living the most perfectly godly life that we possibly can. So how do we get between the two? How do we get from believing in Jesus into a life of godliness? 
How do we bridge that gap? So let's imagine that there is a gap, and we're going to call it a big ravine, just because that's what we're going to do. And um, there's two cliffs on either side. And the first cliff is uh, the source of our transformation, our belief in Jesus. That's on one side of the cliff. And the other side, that's the response to our transformation, the godly life, a life that reflects Jesus in all that we do. And tonight, what we're going to do through looking at Titus 2 is seeing how we can bridge the gap between being saved and living a godly life. And so what we're kind of metaphorically going to do is build the bridge. Um, And it represents three things which, uh, when we understand them, will hopefully help us to um, step into a more godly life ourselves. Um, As I begin this analogy. Um, I really do want to apologize to all structural engineers in the room. I have no idea how to make a bridge. Um, I've picked three random words that all start with the same letter, and that's, that's what we're going to go with. Um, so we have the manual, we have the materials, and we have the means. And Titus 2 is going to present each one to us tonight. Paul himself, he writes the manual, his instructions on what it's going to look like for us to live a godly life. And he tells us that the materials, they have already been provided for us through what Jesus has done for us and what he is doing for us now. And he also tells us the means of who will help us to build that bridge. And that's our Christian families and our friends. All three of these together will help us into living a more godly life. So let's start with the manual. Paul's instructions um, about how we should live a godly life. And what he, he gives us three areas to focus on. Um, the very first verse of Titus 2 um, gives us some instructions. You, however, must teach what is appropriate to sound doctrine. What can we learn from this? That, well, there are appropriate ways of living when we trust in Jesus. And they aren't the ways um, that are being taught by other preachers in Crete at the time to whom this letter was written. Um, Paul is encouraging Titus to live in a totally countercultural way to those around him. Um, the Cretans, um, amazing name, um, are those who are self-confessed liars, lazy gluttons, and evil brutes. And Paul's saying to Titus, don't be like that. And he highlights three areas of a Christian's life where transformation will really set them apart from those people. And the first one of those is in our relationships. Um, Paul is saying, don't be like the Cretans are to one another. They are detestable. They are disobedient. They are unfit for doing any good. And so he gives instructions to all the adults, all the Christian adults, on how they should be around one another. And there's lots of instructions for the older men, lots of, instru- lots of instructions for the older women, lots of instructions for the younger women, and just the single one for the younger men. Um, yeah. Um, he gives lots of instructions, but their overriding attitude is one of love and honor and respect to one another. He says that they must be temperate, worthy of respect, self-controlled, sound in faith, in love and endurance. That They must be reverent to one another. They must have attitudes that show love and respect to everyone. Now, a good question then to ask is why? Why, why should Christians do that? If we all look to verse 5, um, Paul writes, so that no one will malign the word of God. So the Cretans were maligning the word of God. Their actions were denying God. But as Christians, when we are transformed in our relationships, 
when we are temperate towards each other, when we are respectful towards each other, when we are self-controlled towards each other, we are living how the Bible tells us to live. Now, as, as we read through the passage earlier, you may have noticed one particularly controversial um, instruction that Paul gives. Um, he says that the younger women should be encouraged to be busy at home. Now, Paul is not saying that all young women should be married, should have children, or should be busy at home. That's not what he's saying. What he's saying to the women in Crete at the time, who would usually have been married at home with kids, he's saying to them, don't be lazy. Don't sit around doing nothing all day. Don't go around to someone else's house and ignore the stuff that you should have been doing at home. But he's encouraging them to shine like a star for Jesus in whatever sphere of influence they had there and then. Now, so that's, we need to seek transformation in our relationships. The second uh, area that Paul talks to is our integrity. Um, If we read verses 7 and 8 again. In everything, set them an example by doing what is good. In your teaching, show integrity, seriousness, and soundness of speech that cannot be condemned. So a Christian's actions and their words, they must match up. The Cretans did not. Paul said in chapter 1 that they claim to know God, but their actions deny him. It's so easy for us at church um, to be one person, and then when we go out into the world and to every day, be a completely different person. But if we're to live a life of integrity, if we're to live a life that truly shows that we have been transformed by Jesus, we can't do that. We can't have a double life with double standards. That's not reflecting the integrity of the gospel, which we claim to believe and be transformed by. And why must we show that integrity? Paul writes, so that those who oppose you may be ashamed because they have nothing bad to say about us. So that's relationships, integrity. The third area of our life that needs transforming is our trustworthiness. Um, Verses 9 and 10, they read, Teach slaves to be subject to their masters in everything, to try to please them, not to talk back to them, and not to steal from them, but to show that they can be fully trusted. Now again, this is another controversial passage that in history has been falsely used to promote slavery. Now that is wrong, and it's really sad to see God's word manipulated in that way. The word slave here is actually more accurately translated as worker or servant, someone with more freedom and more dignity than a slave. And actually, it probably refers to most of us today, um, people who work, people who serve one another, people who uh, respond to people who have authority over us in the workplace. Paul is saying that as Christians, we need to be people who are worthy of trust from all, particularly those who hold that authority over us. And the reason for that is so that in every way, we will make the teaching about God, our Savior, attractive. Our trustworthiness should point people towards the trustworthy gospel. And it's not a call just on our words, but on everything that we do. If we can't be trusted by those people that we work for, how can they consider our faith to be one that is believable and trustworthy? If the Christian calling is to go and make disciples of all nations, how can we do that if no one trusts us? Now, Paul is saying that the gospel is attractive, and that was definitely true to people back then. And I think it's still true to people today. I mean, obviously, it's still true. It's the most amazing news 
ever. But the fact that there is a God who loves us and has sent himself to save us is an appealing concept in a world that is full of loneliness and fear. But the idea of being a Christian, that is not attractive currently. The world sees Christianity as a dry, oppressive, rule-filled, and joyless existence. But we know that's not what it is actually. We know that believing in Jesus is the most freeing, the most joyful existence that we can have. And so it's our responsibility to, to change that image of what a Christian life looks like. We've got to be like the human flyers to the Christian life, a walking invitation to reflect Jesus and an invitation to come and meet a life-changing God. Kind of like the Clapham Sunday flyers, if you've seen them. They're pretty, pretty yellow. Um, so those, those are the three areas where we need transformation in our relationships, in our integrity, and in our trustworthiness. The manual closed. The materials. Um, well, the materials for our bridge have been provided for us. They are the things that Jesus has done for us. And we find these things um, in verses 11 to 14 in our passage. And again, there are three of them. Uh, the first one is in verse 11. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. Now, we know that we are all sinful and we all need saving. And by his grace, God sent Jesus to bear the weight of our sins on the cross so that when we believe, we can know close relationship with him. That is the salvation that Jesus provides for us. And when we put our trust in Jesus, when we believe and we trust in the salvation that he brings, we are redeemed. That's the second material, redemption. Verse 14 says, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness. Now, you might ask, what is that wickedness? It's a fair question. Look with me to verse 12. The grace of God teaches us to say no to ungodliness and to worldly passions. It is God who works by his grace to redeem us and transform us. So the salvation, redemption, and the third thing, the third material, is purification. Let's reread uh, verse 14. Uh, Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all wickedness and to purify for himself a people that are his very own. If redemption is God teaching us to turn from our wicked ways, purification is then the refining of us into godly people. Imagine God as um, the world's greatest glasssmith, um, as someone who works with glass, which in this analogy is us. God purifies the glass. He removes all the impurities. He stands by us as we are in the fiery furnace that is doing the purification. He refines our hearts so that we are made into his beautiful handiwork. And if we go back into the uh, second half of verse 12, um, it tells us what God's purifying work in us actually is. So if you go back to verse 12, um, it says, Jesus teaches us to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in this present age while we wait for the blessed hope, the appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. So that tells us that we're not on our own in trying to be godly. Jesus is working in each one of us, in saving us, in redeeming us, and in purifying us. And as we've gone through those three things, I don't know if you've noticed who benefits from each one. 
Salvation is for all people, it says in verse 11. And God is redeeming us, and Jesus is purifying for himself. So we don't just look to be godly for our own sake. It's something that benefits all people. All people, it benefits us, it benefits God. It's not just to make us feel better or to think we're better people. It affects more than us. It's so all people can be attracted to the gospel and can receive salvation in Jesus Christ. So those are the materials then. Those are the things that Jesus has done and is doing in us uh, to prepare us. So the third thing in the bridge building, we've had the... um, first on the manual, we've had the materials, and now we have the means. The, the manual was the things in our lives that need transformation, and the materials were the things that Jesus has done for us. The means are the people who Jesus, or who are going to help us build the bridge. And those are our Christian friends and our Christian family, our church family. It's hard to miss in the passage that Paul calls on every type of believer, on every believer, uh, to be godly. He sends instructions to the older men, to the older women, to the younger women, to the younger men, to Titus himself, and to all workers, to every person. Living a godly life isn't just for Jago. It's for everyone. It's for all Christians. And we need to teach and model that lifestyle to one another. The word teach is used a lot in the passage. And we all need to hear and be reminded why we should live godly lives on a regular basis. And what better place to do that than coming to church regularly, to be encouraged by God's word and by the community of believers around us. And Titus also, as well as is called to teach, he's called to encourage the Christians. And the best way to encourage someone is to stand alongside them and do it with them, to model it to them and to live that life and that journey with them. Um, A friend and I uh, are currently trying to get back into running um, it's kind of going all right. Um, we've just started going uh, with another guy from our connect group. So there's three of us going running, two of us trying to learn to get back into running, and the other guy who's doing a really good job, really tough job of trying to teach us. Um, and he's encouraging us by standing alongside us, or more accurately, running alongside us in this case. Um, and he's modeling it to us. However, that guy has recently hurt his ankle, and he hasn't been able to go for a run recently. And guess what's happened? we've all stopped going for a run. Um, without his encouragement, um, we've stopped that good thing that we started. We've fallen away from it. That's why it's so important to have those people around us, uh, to keep us on the right track, to encourage us back into a godly life. We need to make sure we're surrounded and supported by Christian friends and family who are willing to be open and vulnerable with us, to encourage us, to call us out when we're falling away. Um, Proverbs 27, verse 17. It says, As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. By doing life together and being accountable with each other, being vulnerable with each other, we can sharpen each other. We can redirect each other back into a godly lifestyle when we might have the temptation to fall away. And personally, I find Connect Group is such a great uh, place to do this. Uh, Vicky did a plug for it before. Um, It's a great place where we can teach each other, where we can encourage each other, where we can model what it is to live a godly life to each other. 
And it's a great place to be accountable in that as well, where we can uh, say to someone in our group, look, I've, I've done, this week, done this this week. I've stepped away from the godly life that I've been trying to live. Please pray for me. Please walk with me on this journey. That's such a safe place to do that. And I'd really want to encourage you, if you're not currently in a connect group, please do speak to the people around you. Fill in a Get Connected card. Come and chat to one of the staff. We'd love to help you get into a connect group to find that community, to find that place where you can be safe, vulnerable, open, and you can be encouraged by um, other Christians. But we can't just rely on those people as well. That is such a safe space. But we actually also need to work and want at that ourselves. It's not an instant change of head knowledge of believing in Jesus into godly actions. It's, it's a bit like learning to play a musical instrument. Um, most of you will know I'm a musician, um, and the instrument I'm actually most trained in is the church organ. Um, when I first started to learn, um, I could already play the piano, and so um, there were some skills that I could transfer really easily. They both got a keyboard. Um, but there's lots of other things to organ playing as well. And so that actually took a long time for me to get to a standard where I was half decent. Um, I'm pretty clumsy, so doing all the pedals was actually really tough for me. It took forever to coordinate my feet. Um, anyone can do good things. Anyone can do the good things. Anyone can play the piano in that analogy. But as Christians, we want to live a life that is sustainably reflecting Jesus. And so we need the desire to work at it so that our first thoughts and our first actions become instinctively godly thoughts and actions. When I first started to play the organ, the first thing I wanted to do was play for a church service, because that's what organists do. But I couldn't do that. I couldn't jump off the cliff of being an organist into playing for a church service, because that would have been an absolute nightmare. I'd have fallen in the ravine in the middle. I had to work hard to build the bridge that would hold me up, that would get me from one to the other. And similarly, when we become Christians and we're standing on that first cliff and we can see the far side, we can see what the godly life should look like. We can already do some good things, but we can't just jump straight across. We need to prayerfully build that bridge by working hard at the manual, by looking at God's word, by learning God's word, by holding fast to the materials holding fast to those things that Jesus has done for us and he is doing in us today. And by finding um, the means as well, finding those people around us who can support us, who can encourage us, who can live that journey with us. Now, this is really important because, unfortunately for us, the bridge into godly living is a long one. It's a really long one. And therefore, it's one that we need to keep building and keep working at throughout our lives. The perfect godly life is the sinless life that Jesus led. That is the thing that we want to reflect, the thing we are looking for as we make that bridge. And so our journey across the bridge should be one that reflects him, one that should encourage each other and attract others to the same life throughout the whole of our lives. So that sounds quite tough, but thankfully for us, we don't have to work at it alone. We don't have to build a bridge in our own strength. Paul says that Jesus redeems us, that Jesus purifies for himself, and that the grace of God, it teaches us to live that godly life. Whilst we must put our minds to it, we do have a loving God and Savior who is always working for our good. 
who is always transforming us into his likeness. And it's only by his grace that we can truly be transformed into living a godly life. Shall we pray as I finish? Verses 11 and 12 in our passage read this. For the grace of God has appeared that offers salvation to all people. It teaches us to say no to ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. Jesus, we thank you for your words and the challenge that it brings to our lives. We thank you that by your grace, it convicts us of where we are not being faithful to you and that through, um, through its teachings, it teaches us to become more like Christ. We thank you for your saving, redeeming, and purifying work in our lives. And I pray now that by your Holy Spirit, you would be convicting each one of us of areas in our lives that need that transformation, that need your redeeming work working in us. Jesus, our sinfulness, that's the reason that we need to be transformed. But you are the reason that we can be transformed, Lord. So we, we lean on you now. So please come. Please come and transform our lives so that we can be more like you, so that we can reflect your love to the world. We thank you, Lord, for the work that you are doing in us. Amen.